Welcome to the Vine Church. We look forward to experiencing community with you. If you'd like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at thevinegoshen.org. Enjoy the message. So one of the things that I'm thankful for, for sure, is the fact that we have a worship team here at the church that loves to worship Jesus and bring people with us. And it is such an honor and a privilege to be able to play on that worship team. And as you can see, the people around, I'm so thankful for this family. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful to have a place uh, away from home that is our home to worship God and Jesus. Um, and to feel welcome yeah. and part of something and part of a family. Worship. Me not having a family here. To celebrate God together. Okay, this year I'm extra thankful for baby in the belly. Awesome. And my family. <laughs> <laughs> I am extremely grateful and thankful this year for a healthy baby and a healthy wife and for God saving them both. I am thankful for um, the Lord's grace and salvation. The completed work on the cross. Well, there's a lot of things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for health. And I'm especially thankful that we have access to have a relationship with God and what Jesus did for us to provide that. Yeah, I would just ditto a lot of that too. But you know what? I am so thankful too for my wife and for the family and the marriage that I've got and for my family. That is especially uh, meaningful to me. I am thankful that God wants us to know Him. He goes to such great lengths to help us try to figure out who He is. And I've got kids, and I think every part of parenting just kind of is a little bit of an aha moment, and you get to figure out, oh, well, maybe that's what it's like when Jesus is taking care of me. I'm grateful that um, God forgave us of our sins, and I'm also grateful um, for my mom and for my sisters um, and how they take care of um, me and each other. Can you hear me now? There we go. Hey, well, good morning. My name is Travis. I'm the lead pastor here at The Vine. I'll talk a little quieter now. Um, Hey, so it is Thanksgiving week, and you know what that means, is this week you're going to be gathering with people, possibly. Uh, For some, this is a really exciting moment in the year where you get to spend a lot of time together with family and friends, and it's it's lovely. And then for others, this can be a particularly painful time of the year. And so I just want to acknowledge that, that whatever that looks like this week for you, that this is a week that we can set aside and remember, what are we thankful for? And so I do think just this week. Carry that with you. What are you thankful for? Um, And so I want to start this morning just by sharing one of the things I am super thankful for is this church, this group of people right here for all of you. For those of you that lead here at the Vine, I am deeply grateful for you. I'm deeply grateful for the sacrifices you make on a weekly basis. I have watched some of you show up at like the wee hours of the morning to come and serve here. I've watched some of you show up midweek and give hours, countless hours, to serve the people that call this church their home. And so for that reason, I am deeply grateful to you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. 
All right, so I am going to jump into a message this morning, and today we're, we're continuing our message series, Living on Purpose, and as we kind of uh, unpack this message series, last week we talked about evaluating our lives so that we could get ourselves unstuck, like if we felt stuck in some way, we could, we could get unstuck, and that comes through evaluation, but today we're going to talk about taking the next step in that journey to discover what it looks like to actually live on purpose? What does it look like to live on purpose? Now, last week, one of the things I didn't explain was the reason that I chose that title, Living on Purpose. Now, when you hear that title, I, I, I didn't choose it just because it implies that our life should have some purpose, though that's important, right? Like how many of you know purpose is a, a good thing? But I also chose it to point out the connection between living and what we are to live our life and build our life upon. Living on purpose. You see what I'm saying? When we live with our life built upon our purpose, Everything we do flows from that very thing, as opposed to just living life with some purpose mixed in. Can you see the difference? There's a difference. A life built with purpose has some use, but a life built on purpose will always be anchored to and flow from its true purpose. And of course, for the Christian or the Christ follower, our purpose as Jesus followers is in fact Jesus. To know Jesus, to follow him, and to give our life in service to him. And listen, when we get this right, this is the cool part. When we get this right, we actually get to live the very best life possible. When we live on the purposes of Jesus. Now the challenge is this, that, that for many, even, even many Christians, we, we live in a way that we, we know Jesus, like we know who he is, we know about Jesus, and we, we like Jesus. Like most of us like Jesus, and we especially want Jesus to love us. We want that. But for some, we don't always build our life upon Jesus, where the evidence of building our life upon Jesus is that our life would follow after Jesus and reflect Jesus within our life. And instead, we build our lives oriented around other things, sometimes even good things, right? But then we add Jesus to our life. So our life is built over here, and then Jesus gets to be a part of our life. But you see, that's not how life was designed to work. In fact, the only way worth living the Christian life is this, that we build our life fully upon and within Jesus Christ. That our life, we surrender our life to him. That our life is built within his purposes, his plan, his calling for us, both corporately and as individuals. Where Jesus says access to every single part of our life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. How many of you have something ugly in your life? Yeah, some of you are liars. Okay. (laughs) 
We all have ugly stuff. We all have good stuff. We all have some mixed stuff, right? And see, that's where Jesus can come in and he can change our life. He can transform our life. And that's what it means to live a life built upon Jesus is that we invite him into every nook and cranny of our life so that he can transform us and make us into a new creation, a new living human. And so this morning, I want to talk about what does it look like to live on purpose, centered around Jesus, because when we get that right, it's beyond powerful. I heard this quote this week, and it, and it kind of stopped me in my tracks because it was kind of a, it was a hard one to swallow, and I think this morning, I want to share it with you because I think it will illustrate kind of what I'm talking about here, and I, I, I think it paints a very vivid picture very quickly, and the quote was this, the average Christian has been educated well past their obedience. The average Christian has been educated well past their threshold of obedience. Now, that's not good news. <laughs> like, that's not something we, we should celebrate. But it is something we should pay attention to. And so today I want to talk about how do we live a life that takes little steps of obedience that leads to a life living on purpose. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn with me this morning, this morning uh, to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. We're, we're going to talk through uh, maybe one of my favorite portions of Scripture. I love the story of Nehemiah. I love this historical account of a guy that did something extraordinary. And, and I would encourage you, over the next several weeks, if you don't know like what to read in your Bible right now, and you're like, I'm not sure what, where I should be reading, I would encourage you, go to Nehemiah 1, and just read the whole entire book of Nehemiah. It's a short book. It won't take you very long. But you will get kind of this great picture and chocked full of all kinds of things. Nehemiah is, is one of those books that you can pull leadership lessons. You can pull life lessons. You can pull so much just out of the narrative of that passage. And so Nehemiah 1 verse 1 says this. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakalia. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, do you guys know when Kislev is? What month? Anybody? No? Okay, didn't think so. Okay. December. It's the month of December, roughly. Okay. So the month of Kislev, that correlates with our December, give or take. Uh, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was the fortress, or at the fortress of Susa, Hanani. One of my brothers came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. This is important. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. 
Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you have given us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are faithful to me, I, or unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Let me pray and then we're gonna unpack this a little bit. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just illuminate in our hearts the truth of your word and would you speak into our lives this morning in such a big way? Jesus, we love you. Amen. So I want to give you a little bit of context for what's taking place here because I think it's just helpful to kind of understand the bigger story. But first off, Artaxerxes was the son of Xerxes. Anybody ever see the movie 300? right? Sinners. Uh, no, right? Like, I liked it. It was a good movie, right? But, but if you watch the movie 300, it's, it's like this epic battle between, you know, the, the Persians and the Greek Spartans, right? And so you see this kind of battle unfold within this. And so if the main antagonist in this, in this movie is uh, Xerxes, and so if you're wondering, like, in history, who is Xerxes? He was the king of Persia. And so the king of Persia was actually Artaxerxes' dad. Okay, so Artaxerxes was the third son of Xerxes. Okay, so that gives you some historical context for what we're talking about. But secondly, I want to point out why Nehemiah's response to what had happened to Jerusalem was so intense. Because when I first read that, I was like, man, here's a guy that doesn't even live in Jerusalem. And like, I get being sad about what happened. I get being like, oh, a little distraught about what happened. But like, man, this like wrecked his world. What was going on? Well, there's a whole context here. There's a whole background to what was actually taking place. It's helpful to understand that Jerusalem would have represented not only to Nehemiah, but to most Jewish people, something very, very important. Jerusalem was significant in the prophecies foretelling a coming Messiah. And so if Jerusalem had fallen, that would have left Jewish people feeling disoriented and hopeless. Like, wow, there's no chance now that the Messiah could come? Because like, what are the chances of Messiah coming out of the rubble that is now Jerusalem? I would take a miracle. And so Nehemiah's response is the grieving over this, this potential loss of, God, you said this, but what I'm experiencing is this. And they seem in conflict with one another. 
What's that all about? So I want to put that in kind of modern language for just a minute. How many of you like to watch like superhero movies at all? I do. I enjoy them. They're fun, right? I won't call you sinners, I promise, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. He's, he's going to call us sinners, and, right? But, but in any good superhero movie, what happens? Like right before the hero saves the day, it's like the darkness before the dawn, right? The, it gets the, the really dark moment where all hope is lost and things are like bleak at best. This is that moment for Israel. Things look bleak. Things look dark. They look beyond saving. They look hopeless. And Nehemiah is grieving that loss. Saying, God, why? Why is this happening? Now, God had a plan. And his plan was to answer Nehemiah's prayer by inviting Nehemiah to participate in this process of restoration. So let's keep reading. Chapter 2. We're going to read some Bible this morning. Hope you're okay with that. Chapter 2 says this. It says, early the following spring in the month of Nisan. Anybody know the month of Nisan is? Oh, okay. So it's, it's March into April, roughly. Yeah, in the spring, right? Yeah. During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. So you can see like the time that has lapsed was like around December through like March, April. So it hasn't been a long time, but there's been a little bit of time. But it says, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asks me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven. You ever pray those prayers like, oh, wow, this is happening now. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. This is one of those moments, right? He didn't pray like a long prayer, like, let me go fast and pray for a week. Like, this was like, in the moment, it's happening. Like, oh God, would you help me right now? I have to speak and reply to the king. So I replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, so he gets bold here. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressing or addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls and for the house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. And what happens next is Nehemiah, he begins this process of first inspecting the walls in the city. And then he begins to rally the 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 other people around him and the other leaders uh, of Jerusalem to, to begin to rebuild the city walls and then eventually the city. 
And so I want to spend the rest of our time pulling a few important things that I believe will help us build and orient our lives upon God's purpose. And so the first thing that we see here is this. Nehemiah's journey started when he took ownership of the state that he was in. Nehemiah took ownership of the state that he was in. Listen to how Nehemiah's prayer starts. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. Here's where it starts. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying your commands, decrees, and regulations that you have given us through your servant, Moses. Nehemiah understood at least in part that his life was not in line with what God had invited him to do and how he had invited him to live. So he confessed his sins to God and confessed, God, I haven't been living the way that you've invited us to live. Nehemiah didn't try to blame someone else, like, well, it's my wife's fault, right? He, he didn't try to make an excuse, like, well, it's because I'm just not that good at it. He simply took ownership. He said, I made a mistake. And you see this theme all throughout the Bible. You see there, there was a moment where David and the whole thing where he sinned with Bathsheba. If you read through uh, in the book of Samuel, it has a story of David. Like there's a moment where he's confronted by Samuel, the prophet, and, and he says, you have sinned against God. And, and David says, you're right, I did. I did. This is one of those moments where he's confronted with the reality of what his sin has brought. And he says, I'm going to own this, and I'm going to repent. Now, what's interesting here, and this is something that's sometimes hard for me, is he's not just owning his own sin. He's actually recognizing the sin of his nation, the sin of his family. Now, he didn't do all the things everybody else was doing necessarily. In fact, if you read the story, it kind of sounds like he was the guy that was a little bit more on the side of, like, honoring God. But he recognized there was a problem here. He recognized that Israel was destroyed as a result of this. And, and he recognized, I, I think I've got a part to play. And so he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own my part. And I'm going to take ownership even of parts that maybe aren't mine to take. And I'm going to walk in authority as if I can own those too. And I'm going to confess that before God. And that's a powerful thing. You know, a number of years ago, I had one of those kind of moments in my life. And it wasn't as big as like Nehemiah's moment. And it didn't change like the nation of the U.S. or anything. But um, it, it was this kind of significant thing for me. So I, I had this terrible, terrible problem in that my wife would always lose my keys. It, it, it was horrible. I... You know, I'd put them on the counter and she'd lose them, right? No, right? Like what was actually happening, what, I was losing my keys and I was blaming it on my wife. And so I, I would ask her with the most, I mean, I, I look back and I just cringe. I would ask her, where did you put my keys? I have never driven your car this week. Like what, what keys, right? And so, and this went on for a while. And, you know, there was this one moment where like I was looking 
everywhere for my keys. And I'm searching under the couch cushions. And I'm like, that's it. Somebody took my keys. Like, my keys are gone. Somebody took, somebody stole my keys. It was Jenica, I bet you. Right? No, I, I wasn't that mean about it. But I was like, honey, what'd you do with my keys? She's like, good Lord, man. Like, I did nothing with your keys. Go look for your keys. So I start looking some more, looking some more. And then all of a sudden, I realize I've got the keys in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. So I did what any good husband would do. I hid the keys on the counter, and I said, oh, look, I found them. Oh, I, am I being too honest here? Is this... Yes, I'm human too, you guys. <laughs> and I said, oh, I found them. And I'm not kidding you. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit like I have never, hardly ever felt it, like in that moment. And it was, I just felt like God spoke clear as a bell. What are you doing? You are blaming your wife for something so stupid as these keys when you know darn good and well you had them in your pocket. And so that began a journey for me where I had to repent. I had to repent not just to God and say, God, that, that's wrong. But Jenica, I'm really sorry. I have been blaming you for such a thing as losing my keys. And really, it, it boiled down to I, I didn't want to own the blame myself that I could have made a mistake. And so I was putting it on somebody else to own. My kids, the dog. <laughs> we didn't even have a dog. <laughs> Jenica, whoever. And as I repented, and of course, Jenica it was like, yes, of course, I forgive you. There's silly keys. Move on, Right. But in that moment, I had a decision to make. I could either return back to the behavior that I had previously been experiencing, or I could learn what it looked like to walk in humility and change the language in the way that I talked. And so I started saying things like, I can't find my keys. Would you happen to know where they're at? I can't find my keys. I must have lost them somewhere. And listen to me. This may seem like a really simple, small thing. And some of you are sitting there and you're like, it's just keys. This was a bigger thing in my heart than what I even realized. Because I was assigning blame to somebody else for my actions. You see... Nehemiah teaches us this incredible, incredible thing, that, that we don't pass blame, that we, in fact, take ownership of our part, but sometimes we take it a step further and we take ownership for the things that other people have done because we want to walk in that authority and, and, and in that space where we have the authority to, to own more than our part so we can see other people set free. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. Lord, on behalf of a nation, would you forgive us? I didn't change my behavior until I took ownership of my issue. 
confessed it to God and to my wife. A second thing that I think we can pull out of this passage that could be helpful is Nehemiah, he prayed a bold prayer. Nehemiah prayed a bold prayer. He said, please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are faithful to me or unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayer of those who delight in honoring you. And then this is the part that gets me. Please grant me success today by making the, the, the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. If you've ever wondered how to pray, Nehemiah is a great example. Now, how many of you have prayed like this? How many of you have prayed like this? Like, I think most of us probably have, like, Lord, would you give me, or or, Lord, would you make this happen for me? Fill in the blank. I think most of us have prayed like that, but pay attention to how Nehemiah prays. Because I think it gives us great insight to how God often answers prayers. You see, Nehemiah prayed in line with what God already stated to be true. God had already stated this to be the case. Then Nehemiah asked God for favor to participate with something God already planned to do. God was already in the process of restoring the nation of Israel. Nehemiah just didn't know it yet. But he heard the prophetic words that have been spoken of the prophets of old that this would come to pass. And so God had already said, this will happen. Nehemiah was just praying in line with what God had already said. But he was asking God to include him in the process. You see, so often when we pray, we, we sometimes pray with ourselves at the center. God, would you do this for me? Would you bless me? Would you help me? And listen, I, I don't think it's wrong to pray those prayers sometimes. I think it's okay. But I would say it's also helpful for us to know how to pray Nehemiah-type prayers. Nehemiah prayed for God to put him at the center of what God was doing. How many of you have prayed like that? God, would you put me at the center of what you're doing in my community, in my school, in my family? Would you use my life in some way in this area? That's what Nehemiah did. And that that prayer is a prayer that God tends to answer with a yes. Yes. If you want to change your prayer life, start asking God to put you in the middle of what God wants to accomplish in your family, in your school, in your workplace, and in your community. I believe he'll answer that prayer with a yes. Which brings us to the last thing that I want to pull out of this passage this morning. Nehemiah made God's purpose 
more important than his comfort and safety. That's a harder one, isn't it? Nehemiah made God's purpose more important than his comfort and his safety. How, how many of you think that it would have been easier for Nehemiah to, to just stay home? Like, I got a pretty good life. You know, Cupbearer was a pretty good gig. He probably got paid fairly well. He, he got to be around royalty. He got to do royal-type things, and that's probably a pretty good life back then. It would have been easier for him to stay home. But instead, Nehemiah prayed a bold prayer, and he took a risk. And if God answered his prayer, it would require Nehemiah to risk everything and actually ask the king for a favor. But that's what happens. God answers Nehemiah's prayer with a resounding yes and gives Nehemiah the opportunity to ask the king this massive request. And Nehemiah took his God-ordained shot. He didn't waste it. He went for it. It was risky. People had been thrown in prison or, or, or worse, put to death for much less than what Nehemiah was asking. Imagine what was going through Nehemiah's head in that moment. Like, you know, the king asks him, Nehemiah, says, well, you're, you're a little off today. What's, what's going on? Well, do I answer him honestly? I think this is the moment that I was praying for, and God's given me that moment. Well, but if I answer him honestly, what if, what if he doesn't like my answer? He could kill me or throw me in prison or something. This is risky. I could lose my life. Listen, sometimes obeying God will require us to step beyond what feels comfortable and invite us to risk much. Let me say that again. Obeying God will, will, will require us to step beyond what is comfortable and invite us to risk much. But when it's God's kingdom we risk for, no price can compare to what God will do as a result. God's kingdom is precious. Jesus described it as, as the treasure buried in a field that was priceless, as the pearl of great price. His kingdom is precious. When we risk our safety, our well-being, our comfort for God's kingdom, that says something important. It says, God, we trust you. We are willing to follow you. And we are willing to put our money where our mouth is. Most of us don't like to be uncomfortable. In fact, from a scientific standpoint, our bodies are designed to seek comfort, which is really unfortunate, right? Because most things worth like going after in life take some discomfort, Right? For those of you that have ever started a business, you would know, like, like, this was a little uncomfortable at the beginning. 
For those of you that have like had children, like that first child is a little challenging and uncomfortable. Like you don't sleep very much. But you see, following Jesus means that we're willing to be uncomfortable and that, that we're comfortable being uncomfortable for the sake of God's kingdom. And so we will regularly, let, let me just say this and just get it out of the way. You will regularly, as a Christ follower, be uncomfortable. And so if the most important thing in your life is to be comfortable, you're going to struggle with being a Christ follower. And so how do, we, how do we contend with that tension? One step at a time. We take a step towards discomfort when God's inviting us. And then when he invites us again, we take another step and another step. And at least in my life, what I've experienced is the, the more steps I've taken, there, there's a moment where, where I've been able to look back and say, wow, look, look at what God has done in my life. He's, he's transforming my life. My life looks differently now than it did 20 years ago. And yours will too. God invites us to risk to teach us to trust. And he invites us to trust so he knows our character can carry the weight of his purpose and the things that he's called us to carry. And so, as we wrap up today, I want to invite you to take a step towards risk, to take a step towards trust. And so what, what step do you need to take today? You know, last week I, I invited you to evaluate kind of where you're at, where you maybe felt stuck. But this week I'm asking you to take another step towards, towards risk. And so do you need to take a step towards ownership? Are there some things in your life that you need to say, I, I'm going to own that? Maybe it's a mistake. Maybe it's something that, that your family has, has been a part of. Maybe it's, it's something that you're just, you just have to admit, wow, this isn't where it should be, and I'd like it to be somewhere else. But there, there's a, a level of ownership that we have to take where we say, I see that, and I'm the one that can do something about that. Or maybe your step today is to pray that bold prayer. You know, maybe, maybe you, you've... You're in a place where it's time to ask God to use you and your life beyond what you feel capable of or comfortable with. Maybe it's time to ask God for a bigger vision of your life than just your individual life. But regardless of whether you've prayed all the prayers said all the things. One thing I do know is today is a day to take action. Amen. Today is a day for you to step into something and put something in motion that would move towards the purposes and plans that God has for your life. And so if you don't know what those purposes and plans are, maybe that's your action step. I need to find out what God wants me to do with my life. There's a good step. Or maybe it's time. You need to go see that counselor. You've been putting that off, and, and, and it's like that's the thing that's going to help me 
move forward or get this thing unstuck in my life. Or maybe it's time to have that conversation, maybe with a mentor or somebody further, further down the road than you that can speak into some things. Maybe it's time to mend some broken fences. I don't know what your next step is, what your big action step needs to be, but today I know this, it's that there's something. And so will you stand up with me I'm going to pray, but I want to encourage you to take a step towards the risk and the discomfort that maybe God would invite you into today, because that discomfort will bear fruit. Don't step into discomfort just to step into discomfort. It's not what I'm talking about. Step into the invitation of the Lord. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and just, just show us, Father. Show us where, where we need to take a step forward. God, if we've maybe viewed our life in a way that has been subpar to what you have called and created us to do and be. God, would you begin to show us and give us vision for what our life looks like partnered with you. Lord, for those here that maybe don't know you in a personal way, Lord, I just ask right now that you'd begin to show, show those people who you are, how much you love them. Lord, would you show us our next step? Show us where we've been dragging our feet. Show us where we've been maybe holding back. Show us where we've been scared to step out and risk, scared of discomfort. Father, would you give us the boldness? Would you give us the, the courage to step out this morning? Lord, would you meet us in that place? Would you meet us in that place? Well, that is it for today's message. We thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at thevinegoshen.org. We'll see you next time.